Hello and welcome to another episode of Double B Creates. Today you have Kevin with his guest, Michael Curley. Now, Michael is another bladesmith. He was, from what I understand, on Forged in Fire as a contestant at some point. Uh, he owns Seventh Dragon Knife Works, and he's got some really fun stories to share. So without any other further intro, thank you, Michael, for hopping on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. So uh, Seventh Dragon Knife Works is uh, your page. Uh, we're going to go ahead and kick off. We're going to do it backwards. So we usually save this for the end, but go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you. Um, maybe give yourself a little bit bit little bit of business give yourself a plug. <laughs> well it's i'm pretty much mainly on facebook i was on instagram as well and it's seventh dragon knife works on both if you want to search for them i'm sure people have little search bars and they can poke it with their fingers to type but um, <laughs> so uh facebook and instagram seventh dragon knife works but i wasn't getting hardly any instagram traffic traffic so if you're on facebook follow me there that's where you're going to get the most content awesome and seventh is uh the number seven so um the number seven th dragon knife works all right brad just texted me apparently he uh had a pipe explode so (laughs) that's pretty common right now if he shows up he's gonna be late (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah so um where where and how why did you get started in uh bladesmithing I probably had the least interesting got started story of any bladesmith throughout all of history. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's terribly, terribly not interesting. But um, so I was like 18 and I was into like throwing knives, ninja stuff, because that's what you do when you're 18, right? Right. Well, I was, you know, looking for that stuff. And you, you can't look for that stuff without katanas popping up. So I was like, all right, well, those are pretty cool. And that's ninja E because I'm a nerd like that. So I started looking at what would be an actual usable sword. I didn't want the mall ones that break and bend, you know. And I came across a sword forum called SBG, uh, Sword Buyer's Guide. Um, okay. And it happened to have a subsection on blade making. And I was like, that's cool. I want to try it. And I did. And that's the whole story. Uh, I kind of, so I have a similar story, but I never actually followed through with it. Um, I was actually talking to my wife about this today, which is ironic. So we got connected through Michael Peterson and uh, (laughs) we were looking at houses a couple of years ago and I had looked at a house with my wife um, probably about six houses away from where Michael lives and where his shop is. And we got done looking at the house, went out to my real estate agent's car, and it was locked. Well, in towns like we live in, that's not common to lock your car. And uh, I think one of us might have hit the button getting out, just out of force of habit. And we locked the keys in her car. And the other agent that we were working with lives a couple, uh, couple streets up. And she goes, hey, let's just walk to my house and hop in my truck and we'll come back and pick this car up later with the spare key. And uh, so we did and we're walking and I hear a lot of banging around and I look over and I see a sign that says Mike's Damascus Knives LLC. I was like, huh, there's a bladesmith over there. That's kind of cool. Maybe I should get to know him. And uh, 
when we bought this place, I was like, I'm going to build a shed or a garage or something and kind of start learning to forge and things like that. Just cause it was, it's, it's a knife. I mean, guys like knives, it's in our nature, you know, guns, knives, anything cool. Uh, Ninja stuff. <laughs> throwing stars, throwing knives, <laughs> you name it. If, if it you can hurt you, we like it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, fast forward two years. That's, that's kind of how I met him, but I yet to touch a forge or anything like that. I don't even know how the process works entirely, but, uh, You've got some really cool looking stuff on your page. Uh, most of it appears to be Damascus. So is that something that you specialize in? Like what's your favorite thing to do? Oh, ooh, that's going to be a couple different stories. This will be, this will be better than the last one, I promise. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so um, as far as Damascus, no, I don't specialize in it. In fact, I don't even really enjoy making it. Uh, well, pure Damascus, I'll get more into that later. Um, I just have happened to had a lot of Damascus orders recently. And if I, if I get a high end order for a high end Damascus knife, which is kind of redundant, but um, I always buy from Rob Decker because Rob Decker makes some pretty good Damascus. Um, if it shows up and something's wrong with it, you know, he'll send you a new bar. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if I make it myself, I always run the risk of having to redo it later. Um, so I, I've been using a lot of his stuff. I also got some uh, Damascus from Colin Miller. So that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I typically outsource for that. And I just have happened to have had a lot of Damascus orders. If I'm going to do Damascus, I do what I call scrap mascus on my. Um, I think on that most recent chef knife, I don't know if you have my page pulled up or not. I did, and then I closed it. Uh, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's not a big deal. But anyway, if you go to my page um, and you scroll down, I think it's my most recent kitchen blade. Um, it's sc- what I call scrap mascus on my. So what I do is I fold together uh, coil spring and rebar, which isn't like th- that would give you like a maybe medium carbon uh, billet, which isn't good for knives, but. If you cut that billet in half and make San Mai with a piece of like 1095 or something in the middle, mm-hmm. then you have your pattern on the outside that was made out of steel that I got for free and then still has a really good cutting edge. That I really enjoy making. Um, but as far as what I do most of the time, I just like doing hamones. Like those, I, I think they're, I say there's what is a beauty in simplicity and a hamone. It can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be. So like, Sure, you can do your Damascus patterns and all that, but sometimes that's just a little over the top. So I, I'm, I'm more of like a Hamon guy. I like it. And I noticed that uh, everybody's kind of got their own style too. Like I'm looking, I, I can look through your page and you've got some really cool like etchings and stuff on the sides that kind of look like thorn branches. And uh, you've got a, a lot of different, stuff but it, it's you've definitely got your own style to it whereas like mike primarily does what i would call a skinning knife yeah he, he does his uh what he calls drop point hunters but actually it's the the fact that he brought up that etch is kind of funny because i didn't i made the blade but i didn't do the edge my friend jake perry did oh really yeah so i took it out he lives up by dustin roads which is about an hour and 15 minutes from here but uh, I'll go up there like once every couple of months or so and hang out with them and usually not remember because I drink too much. <laughs> was last night fun? Probably. Probably. I don't know. 
<laughs> been there many times. <laughs> so you had told us to ask you about the Goldberg story. What is this about? <laughs> okay. Have you seen Knife or Death? No, I have not. Okay, well, um, Fortune Fire, you go there and you make a blade, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, this, you take a blade with you, and it's kind of like American, what was that, something Ninja Warrior? Like, there's like an obstacle course, but you run through and you just wreck stuff with whatever blade you brought. Okay. Yeah. And if, like, there's a first round where there's like seven or eight people, and the fastest two from that move on to the second round. And then you do like your final showdown at a different course. And if you win, um, Goldberg, which is the rest, you know, the wrestler, it was one of the two hosts, him, uh, two, I forget his last name, two something. And Travis Wirtz, they all walk towards you as a congratulation thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then they, they, they do a little speech and a uh, good job, you know, you pat on the head or whatever. Well, I won my first episode and I went on to the, uh, the grand championship, but I won my episode. And when he was walking towards me to um, do the congratulations thing, he was like, I hope you never make me call you spicy Mike again. It's like, what? <laughs> What's well, like that? That's been my nickname for like years. What? Why? He's like, I don't know. It's weird. I was like, well, to be fair, it's weird to see you not in boots and underwear. <laughs> yeah. And he was so taken aback, he didn't have words. He was just like, uh, uh. <laughs> he was like, that, that's weird, man. And I was like, you told me it was weird to call me my own name. And he's like, well, I guess we're even then. Like, it's the best he could come up with. Like, he just had nothing. <laughs> I don't know many people that have stumped Goldberg, but I think I did it. That's fantastic. <laughs> so you were on Knife and... Knife or well, holy hell, words, knife or death. <laughs> um, what was that experience like? Oh, it was amazing. Like Forge and Fire was fun, but knife or death. It's like, do you want an all expenses paid vacation to run through a course and wreck stuff with the knife you made? Yeah, there's even a chance to win money. I'll take that. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, I won my episode, went to the grand championship. Um, made it to the final round of the grand championship, and then I lost to uh, his name's Dan, but I can't think of his last name. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I got grand champion runner up. No, oh, that's awesome. I didn't have any idea, so that that was really cool to hear. Um, <laughs> it's it's one of those shows that like it's a decent show, but the editing. The, the way they did the editing and the way they did the voiceovers, it just, they could have done a great job, but it, the way they did it, it just didn't work. So they, they canceled it after a couple seasons. Oh, I haven't heard of it before. I'm going to go check it out though. I have uh, a lot of, a lot of ways to find certain things online. So <laughs> I'm going to check it out. Um, and I was, I usually do my research a little bit, but, uh, you were on Fortune Fire as well, correct? Yeah, I won Fortune Fire. You won that one. Um, what season and episode? It was season five, episode 26. That was my original episode. Um, 
and I, I won that one. And then they brought me on for a Super Champions edition. And I went out first round, but I'm not upset about it because the guy that went on to win that episode made that episode so perfect. Like if, if I would have won, I couldn't have made it as entertaining as he did. He was so funny. So yeah, it sucked to lose on my second uh, time being on there. But watching that episode when it aired had me rolling. I was like literally on the ground, like watching him just crack joke after joke after joke. So <laughs> have, uh, have any of these appearances affected business um definitely not knife or death because nobody really watched it um the first so when you win your episode of forged in fire you have like a window of opportunity like a week or two to really use that momentum to build your audience and stuff like that because people are already looking at you from seeing you on the show right the problem is i was working at my last job um a lot like overtime so that window of opportunity after my episode aired, I was like too busy to do any knife related stuff, uh, you know, post pictures and stuff like that. So I, I didn't see a jump from that because I didn't, I wasn't able to get anything done in that magic window time um, after your episode airs. And then when, by the time my second episode of Fortune Fire aired, which is like two years later, um, being as I went out first round, you know, it didn't really, didn't really bring anything there either. Yeah, I would expect if you went out first round that you, you'd get a couple people following you maybe, but I don't know that you'd get too many buyers. Uh, but that's not to say that anybody who goes out in the first round of anything, like I watch these uh, cooking shows a lot and uh, people go out first round and they make some incredible looking stuff. and They, they still know what the hell they're talking about. Um, they could have just had a bad day or somebody had something more that the judges were looking for or something to that nature you know yeah, for sure. on my first episode of forged in fire um i was the worst knife maker on the set like without a doubt the other three guys were way better than me i only had one thing on my side and that was being adaptable other than that all of the other ones were better knife makers than me i i, I have no problem admitting that because like especially everybody got mad at ryan um so he, he, he likes ballroom dancing. So when he was on the Forge set, you know, he was kind of dancing around and stuff, having a good time because he's Ryan. He just enjoys having a good time. Right. And uh, a lot of people were like, oh, he's not taking it seriously. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't matter. Like winning Forge and Fire doesn't even mean you're a good bladesmith. They were all better than me when we filmed, especially Jason Fry. I'll probably never be as good as Jason Fry. He's the guy that got second on my episode. But like that, so that's why when people are like, "Oh, you're a Fortune Fire champion. You're legit." I'm like, "No, I just got lucky." <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people kind of misconstrue uh, certain things, and that's that's definitely one of them. Like, uh, we'll take like all these freaking gurus like uh, Ty Lopez and Tony Robbins and stuff, and just because they figured out a way to monetize their words and their teachings in a very substantial way doesn't necessarily mean that they know what the hell they're talking about most of the time yeah there, there is a lot of that especially in the knife making community um there's a lot of people that go out there and tell you to do certain things and then you look at the science behind it and you're like that doesn't math that doesn't work <laughs> oh perks of living next to a highway so actually here's a question um 
in the entrepreneur space and, and every company I've ever worked for in my life, there's always a couple of people that are like, I'm going to make my way to the top and I'm going to be the very best and I'm going to step on everyone else. And I don't care who I hurt in the process as long as I'm successful and whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. And there's all of these other people that are like, they, they get it. Like we can build a culture around what we're doing and create like a family and uh, you may not be rich, but you're definitely going to make it long-term because people are going to find out that the assholes are the ones that are going to flop on their face eventually. Oh, for true. It's always hilarious when they do too. So my, my question is, have you experienced that in the bladesmithing industry as well? I have a couple of times. Fortunately, in the bladesmithing community, your standing is exactly what you want it to be. Well, you can't just say, like, I'm a master of my craft. Like, if you per, if you consistently put out a certain level of quality, that's the market you'll attract. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> but anyway, um, so you kind of make your own rank. Like, if you want to make the very best knives and it takes you, I don't know, an entire week to make a single knife, and, and you know, it, it is actually nice, then you're going to be at the top. Um, whereas if you want to make... $80 knives that you can just, you know, turn a profit, turn a profit, turn a profit, turn a profit. Like um, Dustin Rose does that. He makes uh, his E-series, um, which is like a 100 to $200 knife, and he pumps those things out like mad. So he, and that's what his reputation is. Like, sure, he makes big one-offs, but most of what he sells are the, the, the little guys that people know him for. Um, so it, it really just depends on exactly what you want to sell. But back to your point, um, it, it, it's hard for that to happen, but it still does. I've had a few people just come up, well, not come up to me, it's usually messaging me online or posting online stuff. And they're like, my stuff's better than yours. I'm like, uh, the, the, the funny part is they want me to argue with them. And I'm like, okay, it's like, that's it. I'm like, yeah, all right. So you admit mine's better than yours? No, I'm just not willing to argue with you. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know you person. I don't know if your stuff's good or not. <laughs> One one way one way to combat. <laughs> oh well, if yours is so perfect, why don't you just send me one and I'll test it out? <laughs> then, you, <laughs> then you get a free knife. Um, yeah, usually they ask me to do that. Like, well, if your knives are so good, send me one. I'm like, you can buy one. <laughs> oh, people are funny. So you uh, you brought up a, actually a good point about how you be who you want to be and stand where you want to like um, Dustin, for example, which I need to follow up with him, by the way. Um, you said that he pumps out a bunch, whereas um, some people are, are super custom and it takes them a long time. Now there's, there's two parts to that because you can create your own in income stream. Holy crap. I'm stuttering again. You can create your own income stream the way that you want it to, but, and you can do that without sacrificing quality, obviously, but uh, everyone's going to have their own way to do it. Like he's, he's making, I don't want to use the word lower end, but more like a, maybe a starter grade sort of blade. Well, that, yeah. Well, that's the reason he expensive. makes it the way he does is because it doesn't, he, he sells them. So he won't in, the, just like me, I sell to a lower, what I would consider a lower in market too, because people can afford those. Like if right. you're making, 
you know, $6,000 custom fighter knives, like, good for you. But your everyday guy doesn't buy that. And we don't have that kind of name, like someone like, um, uh, uh, South African guy, Niels something. I was just going to say Doug Markaita. <laughs> Doug Markaita? He doesn't make knives. I know he doesn't. That was just the first but, name. Uh, okay, so let's say in the kitchen world, it'd be like Morocco Malmasi, right? Like that level of just banana stuff. Um, like you, you can kind of, as long as you pander exactly to the type of market you want to sell to, you, you're, you're pretty much golden. Like you, you'll be all right. Um, the, the reason we sell our lower in knives um, is because that's mostly what people buy. And we're not known for putting out super custom stuff. So he does his Hawks. He does his um, his E-series. I do my fingerlings. I do my low-end kitchen stuff, you know, because that's what people can afford. Yeah. Because we don't have that name in the high-end market like some of the other guys. That's exactly what I was getting to was you can make the same amount pumping out a lot more of the lower price stuff because you're going to have a larger audience because of the price point. Yes. There's is kind of where I was leading into that. Like you could sell a $6,000 knife, but if you only sell one a month versus say a $100 knife and you pump out 60 a month, you're in the same boat. Yeah, I'd, I'd much rather sell the one a month for 6,000 because that sounds like way less work. <laughs> <laughs> Plus making $6,000 a month, that sounds really good. So are you doing this full time or is it... Uh... Yeah, I've been full-time for a couple of years now. Um, I've never walked out of a job until my last one, but I, I just got overwhelmed. So, uh, by the way, this isn't um, advice. Don't do this if you're <laughs> listening. Uh, but, yeah, I, I got fed up. I just walked out. I knew I had my horse and fire championship to at least push me a little ways. Um, and I just went full-time, like, cold turkey, I guess you'd say. Uh, it, 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 was, it was quite a jump. Um, I had to learn a lot of things like uh, if you don't have a boss, there's nobody to tell you what to do. But just because there's nobody to tell you what to do doesn't mean you can't work because then you don't make money and then your bills get behind and then they get mad at you. And so there's a lot of self-motivation and I'm a very social person. So learning to work by myself all the time was kind of an issue. But yeah, I've been full time for two years now and I quite enjoy it. That's awesome. I like to hear the success stories when people can do something that they love to do and still be able to pay their bills because uh, there's so many of us that strive to make whatever they're doing happen and just can't quite push that uh, envelope far enough to, to make it there full time. I wouldn't say that I quote unquote succeeded um it's still a struggle like um between mid-november and like mid-january i couldn't get supplies in so i got way behind from that i was like two months behind on my house and car payment and like the electricity bill was due for like almost a month like i'm finally catching up from that i finally was able to place an order for new belts and things you know just materials i needed and um yeah, so I, I would say from here on out, I probably will be successful. But getting through that little segment of time where I basically had no income, you know, that, that's one of the downsides of working for yourself. There's not like you can put in the hours, but just because you made a knife doesn't mean somebody's going to buy it, you know? Right. Yeah. And you could have, say, a $20,000 month and then four months of 
nothing. And yes, yes, you can. That's that's the thing about uh, being your own boss, entrepreneurship, is uh, you really have to be careful and conscious about what you're spending. Oh, for sure. If I get a big month personally, I'm like, sweet, I could uh, go pay my truck off. I'm like, no, don't do that because you might struggle the next month. Don't. <laughs> you might screw yourself. Yeah, I just bought a press, so that was that was a pretty big investment. But it's a write-off. <laughs> but what? I said, but it could be a write-off. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's a write-off, but that doesn't help me until like tax time, you know? Exactly. I still had to spend that $3,800. Yeah, and a lot of, from what I'm understanding, a lot of the uh, the sanders and grinders and uh, hammers and stuff like that are not cheap. No, not at all. I actually made a post on my business page. Um, it was like yesterday or the day before. I can't remember. Because there's so many people that are, why are your knives so expensive? It took you, you know, like maybe two hours to make one of my entry-level knives. I'm like, yes, it took me two hours. But it took me five years to learn how to make that in two hours. Also, my grinder cost $4,000. My heat treat treatment oven cost $4,000. My press cost $4,000. The belts I buy are about anywhere between 7 and $14 a piece. And I go through about two of those per knife. Um Drill bits, epoxy, cutoff wheels, grinding wheels, um, and you know, hammer, anvil, the propane to run the forge, buying the forge itself. Like, there's so much cost that goes into it that people don't realize that has to be covered at some point. And you know, then they're like, you have all your consumables. So that that's that's why custom knives cost so much. Sure, there are some people out there that just straight up overcharge because they know there's a big hype behind. Um, handmade knives right now but for the most part if there's a decent maker out there that has a decent reputation their stuff is high because it costs them a lot to even produce the knife mm -hmm. yeah so uh, there's so much background stuff with i think any industry really but uh like i was looking at um you know those metal signs that they cut out with computer like the laser or water jet yeah um there's a person around here selling those. And I initially looked at him and I was like, $80 for a 14-inch sign? Oh, that's a $30,000 machine. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but a lot of people would just look over and be like, oh, that's too much. Nope. Mm -mm. But when What you just said actually brought up something that I really enjoyed talking about. Um, for some reason, it's a big stigma in the, especially the forging world. Uh, every time somebody... Because there's, there's a group called Forged and Fire Fan Group. And all the time I see people on there, people saying, you know, I hate it when people grind out a knife on Forged and Fire. It's cheating. Anybody can grind a knife. No, they can't. <laughs> that is a lie. I don't know who popularized that. Because grinding is arguably the hardest part of knife making. Like getting your grinds even, getting everything flat and perfect, and having the muscle memory to get the same line every time. Like it, it just drives me nuts when people say that um, anybody can grind a knife. Sure, there are pure stock removal guys out there, and that, that's a perfectly – I do stock removal too sometimes. I, I would say probably half the time. But it just really irks me when they say anybody can grind a knife because unless you have a lot of experience with a grinder, you will not be able to grind out a knife, I, I promise you. 
I uh, I think I'm in that group still. I joined like 15 different ones when we did the interview with uh, Mike Peterson and posted the link to that interview and like most of them kicked me out immediately. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. They think it's spam or something. I, I don't know, but uh, it drives me crazy when people act like they know what they're talking about. They, they just don't. And that's... I, I just shared a memory from a few years ago. There was a guy, I ran into him at Kroger and he was being like, Hey, you make knives, right? And like, yeah. And he was trying to, he was giving me like the worst advice on the planet. Like I don't remember exactly what it was, but the things you should never do. He's like, yeah, you got to do this. It'll make your knives better. I was like, yeah. Uh huh, buddy. Sure. So I, I definitely know what you're talking about. There's a lot of guys out there, no matter how you do it. Even, like I try to do it by the books. Sure. I use uh, recycled steel, like, you know, tire irons, uh, rebar and coil spring folded together, leaf springs, files. Sure, I, I do all that. Yes, I understand that. But if I'm doing one of my high-end knives, it's going to be known steel and it's going to be done by the heat treatment book. Like, so I, I try to be as sciencey as I can about my known steel stuff, but it does crack me up when people are like, oh, you got to do it this way because this makes it better. I'm like, I'm I'm friends with the three gods of heat treatment. <laughs> I know what they say, and it's not that. <laughs> it's fantastic. There's so much bad advice in the world. Yeah, because like you said, everybody wants to be the, the, the smart guy. Well, that's, uh, that's one rule I live by, is never be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's the exact opposite of how... I don't want to say society kind of like trains us to be, but uh, there's there's something that conditions us to try to know everything and nobody does. It's it drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's the um, the the they want to have the appearance that they know everything, especially when they don't. Um, I liked your your thing there. Don't be the smartest guy in the room because if you don't surround yourself with people more intelligent than you, how are you supposed to ever know more? You're never going to grow. You're going to be pulled down. Right. And that's one of the things that bugs me about certain people in the knife community because they're like, I'm the best. And it's like, okay, well, as soon as you admit that you're perfect, you rule out any room for improvement. So, like, people are like, oh, you shit on your knives too much, man. You should give yourself more credit. Like, no, I don't think my knives are bad. I'm just finding the places that I can improve so I can grow as a knife maker. Right. And <laughs> I, uh, I had a teacher i was in sixth grade she said to me one time she was she was pissed off and I, she gave me a really good life lesson in the heat of the moment on accident she said you're not perfect you don't live in a glass house when you're older and you go buy your first house make sure it's solid glass so everyone can see how perfect you are and i was it never clicked until like five years ago i was like huh i know what she meant <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, that's 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 pretty good. So, I mean that that kind of leads into a good good segue. Um, we do have one scripted question. I told you we didn't have any. Um, I don't care. It's your podcast, and, man. I'm just here to hang out. <laughs> Mike Peterson's been stealing it from us, like a good friend. And uh, <laughs> anyway, it's what is? How do you words? How would you define success in your world? in your life um well i think that's gonna depend on 
Are you talking about just knife makers in general or me in particular? Just uh, like your overall generalized statement of success, like whether it be knife making, your personal life. Um, oh, like what is my bar for someone having quote unquote made it? Yeah. Okay, sure. Um, I think that a lot of that's going to boil down to the person, but I think you just have to find your own ratio of workload versus income. Like some people don't need a lot of money because like Ryu Lim, he doesn't need a lot of money because he has his car paid off. I think he has his house paid off. His entire workshop is paid off. So he doesn't need a lot of income because all he has to do is pay for like electricity and food. And he doesn't even use a lot of electricity. So like, what's the point of him busting his ass like 80 hours a week if all he's going to get is money, but he doesn't need to spend that money. So what's the point? Like for him, it would be more like um, just, you know, just doing what you want, enjoying life. If you feel like taking the day off and going through, you know, for a walk in the woods with your wolf dog, then yeah, that, you know, that's his level of making it. Whereas someone like um, maybe like Don Wynn, you know, he has a reputation to uphold. So maybe his version of making it is, you know, just ma ma like maintaining that reputation or maintaining a certain level of income so he can pay to keep making his videos or I think it really just comes down to the amount of work, amount of work you want to do that will require you to live whatever lifestyle that makes you happy. Love it. Yeah. That's, so that's not an answer. That's just my criteria for having made it is do you make the amount of money that makes you happy with the amount of work that you do? Well, you touched on a lot of good points because um, a lot of people like, I'm going to just pick on younger people. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to use the phrase millennials because unfortunately I fit in that category. Uh, oh, me too. It sucks. I call us zennials because we're right in between the millennial and the Gen X. <laughs> anyway, All right. uh, I don't think a 20 year gap really fits, but I'm going to digress. They, uh, <laughs> The younger generations tend to think success is going to be a mansion or a Lamborghini and have all this fortune and chicks and bikinis on your yacht and all this bullshit. But after I reflected on it a lot, um, it doesn't really come down to money. Finances go into it, but you touched on a lot of really good points in that where having all of your stuff paid off and not having to make a ton of money relax go enjoy life have fun because uh I, I personally don't feel like we were designed as humans and to work for somebody else eight hours a day busting your butt for you know just for money like money wasn't a part of our our uh ancestry if you want to go deep enough into it but uh i mean we were we were here to survive and hunt and gather and stuff like that so we uh, kind of created, we created this weird world where we make, we work to make money and then we use that money to pay for entertainment instead of going out and just living. Yeah. I mean, well, there's a lot of that that plays into it for sure. Yeah. I, I heard something like we're in an entertainment world now. And I thought about it and I was like, that's true. Look at computers, phones, movies. Netflix came yeah, out. I mean, we're all, kind of, we're all addicted to it in some way or another. 
we really are and it's it's weird like we got some fucking... something that you said oh go ahead oh go for it oh well, there's something you said uh about the the younger generation wanting hookers and boats but um there's something i said for quite some time is i think people misunderstand the original american dream mm-hmm. so the original american dream is you work hard and you won't starve to death. That's about as far as it went. If you come to America, you get a job and you can just literally not starve. And the whole point of America is to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. So as long as you you, you know, you go do your job and you eat your potatoes because that's all you can afford or whatever, and then you stay at home and don't bother people. Like that, that, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's about as far as it went. People are like, oh, no, the American dream is to be a millionaire and own Apple and have big boats and fly your own planes. Like, no, it's just to not starve. Yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, a lot of people are calling it um, shiny object syndrome. That's true. Okay. And uh, there's that phrase, keeping up with the Joneses, like, I got to have a Maserati because he bought a BMW. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, everybody makes fun of me because I bought the, um, when they announced it, I knew I had to have one. When the 2015 Mustang came out, mm-hmm. they were coming out with a four-cylinder turbo. And I am a big sucker for small engines with turbos. So I was like, yes, I'm going to get that. And I did. And everybody's like, why didn't you get the V8? I'm like, because that's what I wanted, man. <laughs> People are like, the V8 has more power. I'm like, I don't care. I have 300 real wheel horsepower. And 40 miles a gallon. So, eh. <laughs> so I, I, I get what you mean. And everybody's the, the shiny thing syndrome. They, there, there's always that next thing that you need. You know, once you get something, you're not satisfied because you want something else. So I, I completely understand that. And I, I try really hard not to do that. And if I do want the next thing, it's usually something that will benefit my business or my life. Yeah, I, I like that. If it's going to serve you well then by all means go for it um the car story is funny it cracked me up because my uh my father-in-law found out he was going to be a grandfather and went out and bought a camaro i called it his midlife crisis mobile for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and he got the six cylinder i said why'd you get the six cylinder and he said because it's cheaper on gas and it has enough power to do what i need it to do it's just a car i was like yeah good point yeah, it's pretty much like my dream engine is a twin turbo V6. That'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be way too much horsepower that I'll ever need. But yeah, <laughs> I always like the odd stuff too. Like everybody, like Apple comes out with a new iPhone and everybody's got to have it, right? And I'm over here like, oh man, that grinder looks really nice. It looks way more efficient. Like I don't care about what everybody else says you need or people are like, oh, you don't have that? What are you, poor? Like, no, I just said I don't have interest in the thing that you're telling me I need. Advertising doesn't work very well on me. I, uh, I think we, we really resonate with each other in that aspect because, like, um, my first thought when you said that you like things that are oddball things, um, I like exotic flowers. Like, everybody's got tulips and dandelions, or not dandelions, daffodils and like the typical like rose bushes or whatever in their yard. I like cool stuff that nobody has. Like 
hibiscus. You know, <laughs> like you don't see that in everybody's flower garden. Yeah, yeah, I like biscuits too, but um. <laughs> No, actually, you should you should definitely send me a message after this because I'm a big succulent guy. Oh, yeah. So if you want any of those, I, I'm not kidding. Hundreds of them in the basement. Nice. I I am actually uh, I suck. I managed to kill a couple. Uh, my neighbor called them chickens and gave me a couple starts off of her. They're a succulent of some sort. Oh, hidden chicks. Because you can put them on a rock and you won't kill them. I killed them. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah, I know. How do you maintain exotic flowers and then kill a succulent? I don't know. <laughs> well, like we got uh, we got this really cool one, and I like it just because of the name. And it uh, it's a pink lily. It's called a naked lady lily. And everyone's like, "What is that pink flower? That's a naked lady lily." I'm like, really? Yeah. Why do you have it? Because it's got a cool name. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever thought about trying to grow saffron? No, but it, it is very expensive to purchase. Yes, or at least authentic ones. Like you can get on Amazon all day and buy fake ones and they send you bulbs for like regular flowers. But to get actual saffron is, is very expensive. Yeah, like just to buy it as a spice even is ridiculous. It's one of the most expensive spices. I think it is the most expensive spice. The most. Yeah, they... Uh, that's a good idea. I'm going to look into that tonight. Planting season is <laughs> coming down that route. soon. Because <laughs> I wanted to know what saffron tasted like, but I didn't want to spend a bajillion dollars buying like an ounce of it. Yeah. So I was like, well, let's just, like, I'd rather spend money on seeds or something or however they grow. I'm not sure. Like, I'd rather buy that and grow it myself because I'm really good at growing stuff. But everything I found was fake. It was all fake. Interesting. I know that there's a there's a ton of different stuff on Amazon and like eBay even that sells crazy seeds that uh, I've actually bought a couple that they never did anything. It was weird that they're supposed to be like this crazy thing I've never heard of, you know? Yeah, I don't trust eBay and Amazon to order seeds, but I mostly grow peppers, you know, hence the name Spicy Mike. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big spice head and... I, I never order from Amazon or eBay when I when I get my seeds for peppers. Like the I ordered white ghosts one time and they sent it to me and it was just Thai chili, a plain Thai chili, like <laughs> all of them, and they were just the plain Thai chili. I was like, you, ugh. I was angry. <laughs> yeah, I did that. I got uh, Carolina Reaper um, seeds. Never did a thing. Oh never yeah, grew. definitely shoot me a message. I have so many Carolina Reaper seeds. Yeah, we're gonna definitely get in touch. Um, yeah, we, we just went way out in left field to talk about flowers. That was awesome. I mean, it's a podcast. That's the whole point, right? Just to sit back, chat, and let other people listen to it later and tell us what we did wrong. Yeah, because everyone has their opinion. And yeah, I love haters. <laughs> They're so much fun. Do what? I said, I love haters. They're so much fun. They're the best. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? Uh, those same people that have to be more right than you. I got to tell you what you did wrong on your own thing that you invented. I uh, I said this on a on one of our very first episodes because I was like, "We're gonna get haters eventually. This is gonna be awesome. It's gonna be a huge podcast." And so our guest was like, "Yeah, come on this podcast and hate on us." And I said, "You know what? My definition of a hater is." And I said, "It's somebody 
who wishes they were where you are and are jealous, so they try to tear you down like a like a bully in junior high. That's all they are. Yep, yep. that's that's pretty much it. I had a, oh, you're gonna like this story. This is hilarious. If we have time anyway, you said it went yeah. right about an hour. We we try, but whatever, we're good. Okay, cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> so there was this guy. I posted a video. It was like three years ago or something when I originally posted this video. And early or later last year, you know, it came up on my memory. So I shared it and it was a video. I took a tomato, cut it in half and put the flat side on a cutting board and took my knife. And without touching the tomato, I was taking slices off the tomato with the knife. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, I got thinner and thinner every slice. Well, when I shared it, there was this guy who commented on it and he's like, well, I didn't use the tip. I was like, well, the tip's like for precision work. That's not what I'm trying to show here. And he basically, like, we argued back and forth. Um, and he kept telling me my knife wasn't sharp and I don't make good knives because I didn't use the tip or something. And I'm like, all right, dude, you know what? what? Okay, whatever. I'm kind of done. Like, this is stupid. Um, so I, I got all riled up about that. Like, it, it really got to me. You know, how sometimes things just get under your skin like bad, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, so that was one of those things. And I, ah, it makes me mad just thinking about it. But uh, we, we argued for quite some time. And then it had to have been a week, a week and a half later, there comes out a police report. And this guy, this exact same guy got arrested. So I guess what he did was he got really drunk. And for some reason, took his pants off in front of a bunch of minors, uh, you know, things you're definitely not supposed to do. Um, so they called the cops on him. And the cops show up, and he takes off on his four-wheeler. Yes, four-wheeler. Uh, so he runs away from the scene, but they end up arresting him because he somehow drove his four-wheeler into the side of one of the cop cars. Like, after he had left away from where the police were, he ran into another cop car. So, yeah. And th this guy was trying to tell me, all like, your knives are bad. I've studied in Prague for all this culinary stuff. He worked at a local country club. Mm -hmm. And I live in backwoods nowhere. It's not like I'm in a city where a country club is, like, out of town and nice and for millionaires. No, like, drunk Uncle Bob goes to this place, okay? <laughs> Yeah, and this is where he works, and he was trying to tell me that my knives are garbage and that I didn't know anything. And so, yeah, I, th I thought being on that subject, you'd enjoy that story. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting what people do to themselves <laughs> and how they act around other people. Yeah, uh, for sure. Some people are flat out just dumb. Very yeah. much so. I. Uh, totally get the frustration with knives though like i have a really terrible kitchen set right now and trying to figure out uh, what i want to do as far as new steak knives and chef knives and stuff shout out to old king puck for your crappy knives <laughs> <laughs> you know i specialize in kitchenware i know I've, <laughs> i was going through your stuff so we'll uh discuss that at a later time sweet I'm constantly sitting there, like running my my. Uh, you know that new? They got that new um, knife sharpener that uh, WorkSharp makes. It's like eighty bucks, and it actually uses belts and everything. 
Yeah, I've seen those. It works actually pretty good, but those knives just don't hold an edge to save your life. So, <laughs> no, the, 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 a lot of the, especially like if you go to Walmart and you buy like a sixty to a hundred dollar set, even then, those are most of the time the, the knives you get are going to get redu- they're, they're going to be redundant. You're going to get like a eight, a seven, and a five inch chef knife. Like, why do you need all three of those? You don't. They're just getting your money for nothing. Yeah. And then they, they, they're not going to hold an edge. They're made out of some unhardened stainless, usually. Like, sure, they're stainless, but that's the only thing they have going for them. I've actually broken two knives. I went to, this is a funny story. It was funnier when it happened. But um, I was at my cousin's house, and we were doing uh, bacon grilled cheese sandwiches or something. And I says, hey, where's your uh, cheese slicer? And she says, I don't have one. I use my knives. And I was like, okay. So I pull out this knife. I'm pressing as hard as I can into this cheese. And cheese isn't that hard. I end up breaking the knife in half down the blade. That's <laughs> on impressive. A piece of cheese. And it, uh, it flew out and came right at my face. I ducked and it landed on the floor. Didn't hit anybody else. But uh, everyone was like, what the hell just happened? I was like, I... <laughs> Broke it apparently because uh, that knife was a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's one of the things. I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people don't really enjoy. Like, there's a lot of people that say they don't enjoy cooking. It's like to them, it's just not worth it when they can just make like a bowl of ramen or something like that. It's because they don't have good kitchenware. Right. Having good kitchenware makes cooking so much more fun. And be, as someone who really loves cooking um, for myself. Um, like that, that, that's the number one thing. Like, it's very, very rewarding if you do enjoy it. Um, because, you know, at the end of it, you get to eat, you know, it's like you put all this hard work in and you finally get this great reward and you get full afterwards and it's awesome. But mm-hmm. if you don't have good cookware, none of that is a fun process. I completely agree. Okay. So you get to the end and you eat your meal and you're like, man, this is good, but it was not worth all that ridiculous effort. Mm-hmm. I, I've uh, definitely experienced that myself. I mean, it's uh, it's really fun to like. I've I've got one knife that's actually pretty decent, and I love using it, but I hate cleaning it. But uh, I use that same knife for almost everything now, and it keeps the blade or the edge and everything just like it should. But I don't know, like using different knives for different stuff like you've got your bread knife and your chef knife and your i've got i've I had a kit that's got a tomato knife and it's like a reverse serrated edge i was like why do you need this if you have a good sharp knife it, it'll cut you don't have to deal with all this extra crap like i think I mean, when it comes to kitchenware they try to sell you a tool for everything like look at all the the single-use things, like the the, the 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 onion slicer thingamajig, like there's so many useless kitchen gadgets that can be replaced just by having and knowing how to use a knife. That's it. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, this is so much faster. Like, no, it isn't. I can <laughs> cut an onion faster with my knife than you can with that gimmicky thing that you paid like thirty dollars for. Yeah, I. Uh... <laughs> I'm a little bit guilty of that. Like the pineapple cutter, I really like because it like makes the spiral. And uh, like the, my wife 
just got an avocado thing to do the pit and the the even lines and all that. Like those are kind of cool, but there's a lot of stuff out there. Like uh, I came across yesterday, a uh, little plastic looks like an onion. You're supposed to store your onions in it, and they're supposed to stay fresher longer. It's just a piece of plastic <laughs> that shape. Yeah, no, that that's definitely a gimmick. Like onions stay. Like we don't we don't even put ours in the refrigerator. Like they're just in a basket because you don't have yeah. to refrigerate them. Like it's, unless after you cut into it, then we'll put it in the bag and put it in the fridge. But like what, onions already last pretty long. Like right. why do you need something to keep it longer? <laughs> exactly. Uh, they they really do the the marketing team. I think for kitchen gadgets and pretty much any industry really, but. Uh, they're really good at selling nothing for a price yes. and convincing people that it's a good deal or that they need to have it. Like, how did I live without this salad tosser? Uh, tongs? <laughs> Dude, my girlfriend is like, she is so advertising works on her like a lot. Like we'll be in the middle of something and an advertise, like the other night there was an advertisement for some waterproof shoes that popped up and she paused the video I started Googling these shoes because she wanted some. It's like, oh. you don't, what? You work inside. Why do you need waterproof shoes? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so like, and it works that way on a lot of people. So it really like, like you said, and like, like we said earlier, there's always that next best thing that society tells you you need. Like it's, it's so ridiculous. The amount of things like people will be like, oh man, I'm so broke all the time but then they go out and they have all these gadgets and gizmos that all do pretty much the exact same thing. It's like, why do you have all that? Where, why are you spending your money on all that? Uh, there's a, a term that I, I don't know that I came up with it per se, but um, I call it driveway rich. When people have a big ass house, and a fancy car, all these nice things, they don't have any money to show for it. You know, like, their savings is blown or they're in tons of debt, like their credit cards are maxed out or whatever. Having the nice stuff isn't going to really put you anywhere. <laughs> well, that comes back about around to uh, your thing earlier with like, what it, what is making it mean? So maybe to them, you know, the massive amount of debt and the amount they have to work to pay those loans is worth it to have those nice things. And it very well could be. I guess it's that. Uh, one of those things that is going to be dynamic across every person and what they want in life. I just wonder if some people are conditioned to think certain ways versus others. Oh, I would 100% agree with that. Like, um, I came from, so my parents' parents grew up rather harsh and poor. Um, and so did my parents at a certain point of their lives. But my parents did pretty good. Like, we never really had to worry. Okay, after I was about seven, we never really had to worry about money. Before that, we were kind of in the same boat. Like, sometimes my mom just mixed whatever was left in the fridge in a pot, and that's what we ate for dinner, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but after a while, they got to where, you know, like, they, they were both uh, nurses, so they, they made quite a bit, and we never really had to struggle. And we had a lot of things that I would consider, I hate to say extra, but like, we, we had, we were able to afford things that I guess some of the other kids that I went to school with definitely would have only dreamed of having. Like I had a really nice bow. I noticed you got one behind you there. 
Um, but I, I had a pretty nice bow. Um, but as I get where I'm an adult, I, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of things that I guess would be nice to have, like another really nice bow or something like that. But I only do archery for the enjoyment of archery. I don't hunt or anything. Not that I'm against hunting. I just, I find it boring. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to sit in a stand for like six hours freezing and not see a deer. That's that sounds terrible. I could make so much money at home, dude, instead of being <laughs> in the stand. But yeah, so like, there's, I guess there's as I get older, I realize there's a lot of things that I don't really need. So, I yeah, I, I had a point with that, and I think that was the point that like th- there's so many people that think they need all this, or I, I guess in their mind that's what makes them happy is having all this stuff. Whereas the older I get, I kind of just I want to make my knives. I want to drink my beer. And I want to watch my YouTube videos at the end of the day. That's it. <laughs> That's all it takes to make Spicy Mike happy. Yeah, it's uh, you brought up a point. Like, I just, it's right here, this new one I just picked up yesterday. As a shotgun, it is just over $1,000. Um, but it's a, it's a nice one. And uh, hunting is like my jam. You know, the fall time, I'm always out in the marsh going after ducks and geese and stuff. And uh, there's, of course, there's cheaper options, but I went nice this time and it's going to serve me for years to come. And we had kind of talked about it a little bit uh, earlier, where if it doesn't serve me, I don't need it, you know. But uh, when it comes to something like a, like a firearm or a bow or something like that, if it's obviously going to serve me and give me food so why not get what i want you know right yeah that's but, that's why <laughs> me and my girlfriend go back and forth because she likes stuff she she like like every time we go to the store she goes through the um discount aisle uh clearance that stuff mm-hmm. and she'll you know she'll buy some knickknacks and they always end up on a shelf a little decoration somewhere and like <laughs> We've actually talked about this because to me it feels like clutter, but it makes her happy to have those things just to look at. Mm-hmm. So, like, I guess it just depends on the person. But personally, I I don't like a lot of stuff as I get older. It uh, but, you know, like you said, unless it serves the purpose. Yeah, if it serves you, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I think that. I don't know if it uh, spawns back to way, the way people were raised per se or how much money they had growing up. Like I've noticed a trend um, and this is just in my eyes anyway. People who grew up with less tend to want to have more when they're able to, when they're older in life. Um, say you always had hand-me-down clothes or something like that growing up you just when you're older you're like oh i've got a job i can afford it i'm gonna go out and buy a nice shirt and a nice pair of pants and a nice pair of boots or whatever you know um whereas people that grew up with a lot of lavish stuff in in my experience as a kid don't really appreciate it as much and so they don't care to uh have a house full of stuff (laughs) They want it to stay clean and minimal. You know, I, I, w- I would partially agree with that. It's going to depend on the person. It, like in Bailey's case, my girlfriend, I, I think that the reason she likes a lot of stuff is because um, she grew up watching her dad work like a ton. 
And she's kind of adapted that. Like she she's always worked a ton and she likes to have a lot of stuff to show for it. Like, you know, that, that's fine. That's what makes her happy. Whereas when I was growing up, I remember my, cause I always got picked on in school. Like I, I was like, like even the nerdy kids bullied me kind of thing, you know, <laughs> like, uh, it, like it was impressive. But um, I remember talking about it with my dad and he was like, well, you know, like if you if you are having this problem, we can get you the the popular clothes. We like we can get you get you these things that the other kids have. I'm like, I'm just not interested. Like if you were going to go out and spend two hundred dollars on really cool clothes for me, I'd much rather you spend two hundred dollars on something that I would enjoy versus something that someone else would just rather see me wear. Right. So like uh, again, same with the success thing. I think it's just a case by case basis. Yeah, I was totally just stereotyping and generalizing on that statement. But <laughs> no, it's, I mean, that's, it's, that's the point of having conversations. It's definitely something that's case by case. It's just something that, like, I had a, a friend in high school that uh, went out, his dad bought him this brand new Camaro with T tops and stuff. He drove it like an asshole, never got the oil changed in it left the t-tops off knowing it was going to rain you know like just dumb stuff i'm like man i love my little car that i scraped for to buy and it's an old like it was as old as i was took care of that car better than i took care of any of my others i just uh it's just weird to see how people differentiate yeah i I, especially with the car thing like that's that's one thing that for some reason if you own a junker you care about that junker more than anything you could have a brand new car like like my mustang i i I, my new one the 2015 mustang Mm. i love it but i've got this old mustang too everybody can make fun of me all they want i like the mustang twos but uh, convertible do what the old four-cylinder convertible ones uh it doesn't have a this one isn't convertible but yes um but yeah, uh, it's it's one of the old four-cylinder ones. And for whatever reason, it doesn't run, but for whatever reason, I am just determined to make that stupid little car work. <laughs> like so, something about owning a junker makes you care about it. I think it's because like when you own a junker, you do a lot of work to it, right? And that work means something. Like, yeah, right. yeah, we've been through a lot, man. You know that one time you broke down and I had to walk a mile in the snow to get a phone to call somebody? Like, so it's it's almost like you form an emotional attachment to the thing because you spent so much time on it. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. Like your your time is valuable, and if you choose to put that time into the same thing over and over for a goal, I mean, you definitely grow an attachment to it. It's like uh, I've got this old uh, truck sitting in my yard that's not currently running. My wife's like, "You just need to sell it." I'm like, "Uh, yeah, you just can't do it." Like, I just put so much into it. I just don't know if I want to. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those things that, like, sure, you could use the money. And that could go towards, you know, buying your next cool shotgun or whatever. But then you look at it and you think of all the time you spent, like, all, all the big plans you had for it, all the, uh, maybe it ran before, all the times that it did run, and, you know, got you through all this stuff and, you know, stuff like that. Like, there's always something that plays into it. Yeah, memories. Yep. All of that. Mostly that. What what's the word that they use? Emotional connection or something like that. I can't remember. Nostalgia. No, um, 
like if somebody was to go sell something and they're like, oh, I can't let it go for that. It's it's worth a lot more because it was my dad's and he passed away. And oh, sentimental value. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it would come to me eventually. Like your your sentiments get caught up in stuff, and I don't know. It uh, definitely plays tricks on the mind. Makes you think things are a lot more valuable than they probably really are at face value. Well, yeah, I mean, but to you, they are. Dollar amount, you know, they're worth a certain amount, but to you, they're worth more than that dollar amount in emotions. So, if somebody offered to buy it for X amount of money, which might be its actual value. It's worth more to you to not take that money and keep the thing than it is to let the thing go at its market value. Right. And it, it's funny because I'm very backwards about it when it comes to my knives. Maybe it's just because I make knives all the time. So to me, they're not special, I guess. Um, there's a couple projects here and there that I'll be really proud of that, you know, maybe it sucks to put in the mail because I don't get to hold it and look at it anymore. But when it comes to my knives, especially when people say I downplay my knives a lot, I'm like, well, it's just a knife. Like, yeah, but this cuts better than like literally everything I've ever used. I'm like, I, I get that, but I put out this quality all the time. That sounds really conceited, but <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, so when they're like, oh man, that's amazing. Like, sure, I guess it's just another one off the lot, you know? Like, it's, it's just straight off. It, it, it's just what I make. I don't, I don't know. So yeah. it's funny that I do, I do have similar value towards certain things, but when it comes to the blades that I make, especially after we talked about all the work you put into them and all the time and stuff like that. But for some reason at the end of making my knives, I'm just like, all right, let's pay attention to the next one. I think uh, you might downplay it a little bit on your side, but somebody down the line is going to have a lot of sentimental value. Like say you have kids or grandkids or whatever. They'll be like, oh, my, my great, great grandfather made this knife by hand. He was a bladesmith. And it's gonna, one of them is going to sit on their wall you know what I mean? Yeah, that that's actually one of the things that I dislike. I don't want to sell collectors' knives, and and that comes back to the you know uh, what we talked about with um, if you buy something, you want it to be useful. Well, if somebody buys a knife from me, I don't want them to put it on a shelf. I don't want them to look at it and be like, "See that knife? Spicy Mike made that knife. He's the forged fire champion, and I own one of his blades." Like, no, like go use the thing. I made it to be used. Like even Carol Shelby, um, the, the the Shelby Mustang guy, mm-hmm. um, he said, like, because there's a lot of people that were buying the Shelby cars specifically to collect them. He's like, no, that's not why I designed them. I didn't design them to be collected. I designed them to be driven. Right. He's like, go drive your car that you bought. Use it. <laughs> and I'm the same way with my knives. Like if somebody buys my knife and they just stick it on a shelf and they never touch it, I, don't, I feel like, I, like, what's the point of making it if you're not, if they're not going to use it? I don't know. It just bugs me. Oh, that's a good point. I like that. It's not really uh, <clears throat> something I've thought of. You know, uh, you go in and put in all this effort and they just display it. But <laughs> I, uh, I had a weird thought happen right when I was saying that. Like, I, uh, I'm really into taxidermy. And a lot of taxidermists i know are like yeah i made that and it just sits on the shelf so i, I guess it depends on what it is that you're making really if it's something well, for like that, that i mean I they're making it specific they're making it specifically for display so right. that makes it's sense right like it's serving display. the purpose they created it for right so yeah it's i guess it's it's not necessarily 
making something to have it sit it's making something to not have its intended purpose used how do i say that it's not used for its intended purpose right so if a taxidermist made a really nice whatever you call it taxiderm um (laughs) and like the person decided like you know what i can't find my hammer i'm just going to use that as a hammer that taxidermist would be really upset right because it wasn't its intended purpose. Whereas if I make a knife and somebody puts it on the wall, I'm like, do you know how much time I spent? Like, say it's a chef knife. It's like, do you know how much time I spent grinding the bevels on that to outperform pretty much every other knife on the market? And you're just going to put it on the wall like that and never use it? Like, why would you pay the money for it? Like, I could have just sent you a picture of the knife. You could have put the picture of a knife on a wall. <laughs> if I'm going to spend the time making that knife, you better go cut some onions, man. <laughs> Yeah, use it for its intended purpose. That was uh, that was good. I liked it. It was a good thought, really. <laughs> Thanks. I think had my brain rolling for a minute. <laughs> that doesn't sound pleasant. It's like it's like you know you go out and buy a Lamborghini just to drive it on Sundays to church. You know? I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> You're gonna buy yeah. a sports car. Do some do some sport driving with it. So. I definitely also would not buy a Lamborghini. I mean, sure, they got a lot of flashy things going on, but I don't know. I feel like if you want to go really fast, a lot of the um, really, really expensive cars probably aren't your best bet. If you want to go fast, you're, you probably just want to hop on a Suzuki Hayabusa instead. Yeah, there you go. That costs way less. And they're way faster. Oh, yeah, they don't weigh anything. <laughs> you get 1,300 horsepower off of a stock twin turbo. Uh, yeah, you only have two wheels to drive. Well, you only drive one wheel. Yeah, pretty much. And you just turn the front one. <laughs> That's funny. That's uh, it's a really good point. You know, I think that people just buy stuff just to be flashy. It's really all it is, just to say right. that they have it. Yeah. yeah, and I think that all comes back to what makes them happy. Like saying that they have it makes them happy so like if you want to own 14 lamborghinis just because you enjoy owning lamborghinis like good for you man yeah oh um, speaking of good for you that's something that i um i don't know why this is something that i've started doing in the last several years but i've stopped saying must be nice like there's so many like you were talking about earlier there's all those jealous people they're like you're like oh you know i'm a knife maker for a living you're like must be nice and I've stopped saying must be nice. And I've started saying good for you. Like, I think it's so silly to like, it's like if somebody has something you don't and you want that thing, I think it's so silly to say must be nice. It's like, well, why don't you just be happy that person's happy because he has this thing that he likes? Like when, when, when did that stop being a thing? Jealousy will take over your life if you want it to, or if you allow yeah. it. <laughs> for real. So I, I've made it a point to don't, to not say must be nice and start saying good for you i'm happy for you that that thing that you have makes you happy yeah i like it that is a good way of thinking because really if jealousy to me is trying to compare yourself to somebody else and we should all just be our own individual person in the end like i'm in hunting you're not cool like you don't like it i do so you know, I mean, if I was going to go do, like want to do, I'll do what I want to do. I'd, I'd go dove hunting or something because, you know, like doves fly a lot. You know, that's fine. But 
I don't know. I just deer hunting specifically. It's I'd, I'd rather just sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny when people are like, "Oh, we're gonna go to." There was all this talk about a certain group going to rural areas, and I was like, "Uh, you know, a lot of those guys will sit in a tree for a week and not move just to kill something, right?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I stay out of all that stuff. Like that's one of the, there's two things that I really really hate. And that's talking about religion or politics, because that's the two fastest ways to get in a fist fight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there is, uh, I heard of somebody, somebody recently said that there's a couple things that they keep out of relationships, and that was included in there. And I was like, how yeah. do you expect to have a relation with, like a relationship with somebody and not be able to talk about your religious preferences, you know? <laughs> Like that was, it kind of struck me as odd, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's just potential argument points that are kind of unnecessary. Yeah, and if you know it's trigger for you and it's a trigger for your partner, it makes sense to ignore it. Well, like my initial thought was like, if they're going to, like, I was just say like, maybe they're Jewish and you're agnostic or something. Like, you would want to know a little bit, like, you still want to talk about it so that you understand, like, when they're going to go do their praying or, you know, like, I don't know. There's there's a fine line on it, though. It was just something that kind of got me thinking. You know, I've never heard that as far as, uh, as relationships go. I've heard it as far as, like, business, and, like, dinner table conversation and stuff like that, you know. I mean, it's kind of the same with me and my girlfriend because she's like very religious. She has a degree in uh, Christianity and I'm atheist or agnostic or whatever they're calling it this week. I don't know. It changes (laughs) all the time. But uh, yeah. So, I I mean, we talk about it, but it's not like a major subject that we talk about all the time. That's really cool. I like it when people can cohabitate, coexist. Not, yeah, me too. Uh, and I feel like it sucks because we live in such a polarized time where it's always us versus them. And like mm-hmm. it can be any subject of anything. There's all there, like there's going to be an us versus them, whether it's like this wing versus that wing or this news outlet versus that news outlet outlet or um, maybe in the knife world be like you got to buy this brand of press or this brand of press. And, you know, we, we seem to have lost a way to have a preference and be okay with someone else having a different preference. And I don't see why we have to argue about that. Why can't we just have, be happy that somebody enjoys something? That's a beautiful thing about being your own person. You know, everybody's completely different. Not everybody thinks the same way and not everybody has to act the same way. So embracing people's differences, I, I don't know why, but somewhere along the lines they get lost. People yeah. are like, oh, you don't think this way. Uh, I'm going to pound it into your head that you need to and try to change your mind. I'm going to start an argument. Why? <laughs> yeah, I, because I refuse to buy into a political side, I've been called so many, I guess you'd call it slurs, that you would call both sides. Uh-huh. It's like, I'm not I'm not on your the other side. Like, I'm agreeing with what you're saying. Why are you calling me, like, something that you think would be offensive? Like, I don't know. There's so many things like that where it's almost like you're not allowed to be neutral anymore. And even if you say you're neutral, because you say you're neutral, people will assume that you're the enemy. 
whatever that translates to and whatever subject it is. No, I completely agree. I, uh, I did this thing, some, some, uh, little test or whatever that's like tells you it was a it was a political one and it it pulled me right dead center and i sent it to somebody and they were like there's no way you could be right in the middle you think this way and you act this way I'm like mm, wrong <laughs> yeah like i don't have to fit in your little box yeah for sure for sure I mean, we don't have to stereotype everything label everything just let people be yeah, and like I said earlier, that's the whole point of America. Do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. That's it. I love it. I mean, that's that's how it should be. That's how it was. That's how it started. That's what we need to go back to. Yeah. People are like, I don't like them because they do that. It's like, who cares? Why, why are you worried about what they do? You're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Does it affect you? Does it interfere with your ability to live your life? No. All right. They don't like hunting. Okay, well, they don't hunt, so you can still go. Like, what? <laughs> More <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the way I see it, too. Um, it's unfortunate that not everybody does. Yeah, well, we live in an awkward time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's putting it nicely. Um, yeah. Yeah, man, I... I really like your thought process and the way that you think we're we're definitely on the same page as far as that goes. For truesies, for truesies. <laughs> well, cool. I think we're going to wrap this up here pretty soon. Um, Sweet, because I ran out of beer. <laughs> I'm glad that you can still drink, man. I, uh, I'm, I'm at a, well, I went 96 days and my wife and I shared a beer together on Monday. Um, but yeah, I started the whole AA thing. So trying to stay sober. But uh, oh, yeah. I like that. Oh. I like that, you know, people can still drink while you can, you know, enjoy it. <laughs> I, I can't, but it doesn't bother me that other people are, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, alcohol is the devil. That's stupid. <laughs> For some people, it really is. For some people, it's like a ridiculous spiral. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I know where it stemmed from and how I, got out of hand but i never did anything stupid i wasn't like dude i went to i went to aa for 90 days i did 90 and 90 some of those stories you hear out of there i've heard stories people have like seven duis i'm like how in the hell <laughs> like learn the first time yeah see that's like i i drink every day or every night i should say i don't drink during the day because i got stuff to do because it helps me sleep and i just like beer i think it tastes good but yeah, I, I, I also realized there's some people that can't do that because if they did start doing that, it would control their lives or they, when they get drunk, they turn into a really mean person, um, you know, things like that. So like, it, it's definitely not for everybody, but for me, you know, it's, it's almost like part of my personality. People are like, Oh, spicy Mike, he's the bladesmith with the red shirt and the keystone ice. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I like it a little too much and there's there's very few that I've tried that I'm like no there's no way uh Keystone Ice was definitely one of those <laughs> yeah everybody makes fun of me they're like if you're gonna drink beer drink real beer but I, I, don't, I don't know I enjoy it I yeah. also like that it's a higher alcohol content because there's a lot of the lighter beers that I can drink them and I, I don't drink fast 
like I, I you know, I my, my girlfriend, she drinks Keystone Light because she like as soon as she swallows her drink from before, you know, she's like going back for another one. Like so she drinks the lighter beer. So she because she likes to drink faster, so she doesn't get as drunk. Whereas I kind of like to take my time with my drinks. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot of really good ones out there that have a really high uh, here in Utah, we have a local place, uh, Wasatch Brewery, I believe it is. And they have one, uh, I can't remember what it's called, the Devastator is what they call it. And it's a picture of the Utah Capitol and it's got a big horn ram on it. I think it's 12 or 13%. Like it's, it's pretty yeah. up there. <laughs> also, the Devastator totally sounds like a sex toy. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> picture of this never mind how big is this can and what shape is it this is something i need to know now <laughs> yeah look it up it's wasatch brewery it's called the devastator i think it's 12 point something it's it's uh it's an amber it's really good that does sound to, good i used to get two of those and i'd be done for like, the whole night i'd be out <laughs> i would imagine yeah that sounds pretty strong but yeah um anyway We'll go ahead and wrap up a little bit. Uh, I appreciate you being on, man. I really enjoyed talking to you. I didn't know anything, you know, what to expect or or your background or anything. So I had a good good time. I enjoyed talking to you, hearing your stories. And I think uh, we definitely have a lot in common, which made it a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. And podcasting is one of my favorite things to do. Like, even when I put out the thing on Facebook looking for podcasts, I straight up said, and like, I don't even care if your podcast isn't popular. Like if you have a whole three viewers, you know, like, I don't care. I just, I just enjoy this kind of thing, this kind of interaction. It's nice because um, like I, I've been working or staying at home full time for two years now. And uh, just like you, I kind of live in the middle of nowhere. So it's, it's nice to talk to other people nice to build connections and actually have conversation with somebody yeah absolutely i mean i talk to a duck all day that's it <laughs> yeah I, I have a pet duck we have duck well dude I, I only have one duck right now um we're getting more ducklings this weekend sweet but we lost a bunch uh in the last year so uh, yeah we've got like a dozen chickens and a duck, a couple goats, four dogs. My kids got some geckos. <laughs> I just have Alan. Ducks are fun. Yeah, especially if you raise them the way I raise like my last pet duck and then this one where they're really affectionate. Mm-hmm. And like they're not afraid of you. You can pick them up, you can pet them and stuff like that. Like if you raise them a certain way, you can really tell they, they all have quite a personality. They really do. And I mean, goats are the same way. They're just they're just like dogs they're so much fun <laughs> my kids are all funny they uh get it in their head that they're gonna get headbutted all the time by the goats I'm like they're not gonna get headbutted unless you steal their food <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so funny. all right man i'll let you uh get off here and enjoy the rest of your evening you as well i appreciate it man absolutely <laughs>